Welcome to The Scoop. My name is Roy Hughes. Today is the 30th of January, 2019, and we are reading from the events of the House of Commons last night, where Theresa May actually had a good night for once in 2019 in terms of uh, political successes. She defeated the Labour Party and the rebels on her own side and got through the much muchly divisive Brady Amendment, uh, which passed by 16 votes and essentially demands replacement of the backstop with alternative arrangements. And as of yet, we don't know exactly what those arrangements are, which is worrying or hopeful, depending on what side you're on. But the thing, the first thing we should talk about is the rare thrill of unity for Conservatives in the House of Commons. Um, will it last? What do you reckon, Scott? Well, can I just jump in on something we've already touched on already? Did she really win? Because it's going against the deal that she put through two weeks ago. So did Theresa May really win? Or was this her just retreating and saying, yeah, this is what I want, when realistically she knows that the EU aren't going to re- renegotiate and she knows that this isn't what's going to happen? Then, theoretically, if she's intended to do this with foresight, knowing that her own deal that she proposed two weeks ago is still going to go through, it's still technically a win. Because it's still of her own intention. No? I don't know. Because the deal that she... Oh, hi, I'm Jess, by the way. Um, the deal that was passed through the, the Commons last night was just kind of a watered-down version of her own Brexit deal. So in, in, in a sense, she did win. It's just the one, the one kind of niggle that uh, prevented the bill from passing in the first place. Um, probably one of many things that prevented it passing in the first place um, was the backstop, and now she has mandate from the Commons to go back and um, but that, renegotiate. that niggle is the most divisive part of the whole thing. Yeah, and that niggle is a, is a big old big old thing. Yeah, and the fact that she's removed it or altered it or amended it, however you want to look at it, it has given her more of a whole party image for the first time in a long time, to at least probably checkers, whenever everything became very divisive. Mm. So at the moment she has, she's Backbenchers here supporting her. She has uh, some Labour rebels, I think. I can't remember who exactly. Um, and the ERG actually came out and supported her last night, mm. which, as Michael has said previously in this podcast, have been a long-term difficulty for Theresa May. Um, so do you think... Is it a front then, basically what you're saying? Is it... It's not really a win. It's. I don't think it's a win. I think it is her going back on what she wants and what she knows will happen to please the DUP and to please um, the rest of her party that weren't behind the original deal. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a diluted win. Yes. I mean diluted, not diluted. It's kind of like um, in, in in a sense that she has won, but because she has, like I guess, crumbled to the pressure of the ERG and the DUP over the backstop, um, conser- considerably, uh, you know, impacts her leadership image, I think. Like, she's not really leading this Brexit, these Brexit negotiations anymore. She's kind of, like, taken a step back. And, yes, yeah, she will be the figurehead of these Brexit negotiations, but she is now taking on, like... I guess, concerns of other parties. If that makes sense. 
I don't think it does. No, I think that makes sense. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I think I think we've got this on the same page, Jess. Yeah, I think we're on the same page, Scott, but I just don't think either of our brains have the the words to get out what we mean. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so let me try and figure out these words. Yeah, Roy, so, thank I, I throw these words on at you and you take them, scramble them up and you bring back what I what I want to say. So you're saying that Theresa May has not won because she was suffering so badly mm-hmm. two weeks ago whenever she lost the original vote by the greatest majority or greatest majority ever yet. Um, that this victory, because she's essentially not continually rolling down the hill, is seen as a win, and that she's not still falling down the hill. But in realistic terms, she's kind of hit a pavement. Yeah. But she's still going to continue rolling down that hill. Yeah, she's hit a plateau, which yeah. is quite nice. Um, and it, and it's nice to not see her fail anymore because you know she is the prime minister. Um, but. Yeah, essentially, she's rolling down a hill, a horrible, nasty old hill. Um, she has reached a plateau, but, you know, she will keep falling, and uh, she will fall once she goes back to the EU and basically begs them for re- renegotiations. And they've already said that they're not going to re- renegotiate this deal anyway. So, so then, just to jump in what you're saying, is no deal now more inevitable than ever? Absolutely. But... That was one of the amendments that they voted on last night. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, here, here's an absolute car crash of, of a situation that's happened last night. Um, that not only did MPs vote for uh, a no Brexit... Oh, so, sorry, MPs reject... First of all, BBC News. Um, please make your articles clearer because MPs reject no Brexit deal. What, what does that mean? Please, I, I don't like getting headlines like that when I'm trying to take videos of myself. Okay, I don't... <laughs> reacting to the... Reacting to Brexit. I don't like it. And that makes no, no sense. And then the absolute car crash that happened was the MPs were like, yeah, we don't, we don't want to know Brexit deal. So, Scotty, all right? <laughs> so, the, the headline yeah. that sitting in front of me is MPs vote to reject leaving... Oh, but that's not... D- <laughs> that's not what BBC put out. <laughs> That's what they put out now once yeah. they amended it. But the breaking news headline was MPs reject no Brexit deal. So, dear God, please make it clear. Because... I, I mean, that's a greater problem with the whole Brexit I've, scenario. I've yeah. not seen Jess get so passionate about something while we've been doing one of these podcasts in yeah, such a long time. Yeah, you think I have no idea what's going on anyway. So I just got really passionate about um, horrible grammatical judgments made by the BBC. Thank you. So, as far as I can tell, right, what I remember, is they voted against the no-deal. Yeah. So, they're basically saying, we don't want a no-deal, we want a deal. We want a deal, and then, um, just, to, just to make matters worse, then they voted to not extend Article 50. Yeah, which um, was which Yvette was Cooper's one. Yvette Cooper's amendment. Um, so, they want a deal... But they don't want time to make a deal. It, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Getting, it's getting to the point now where it's it's getting closer and closer to the wire. That that's something that I noticed actually last night is the three big votes are uh, the Brady Amendment, which was the uh, to get rid of the backstop and bring about alternative arrangements, was three hundred seventeen three hundred one. That's sixteen votes. 
MPs voting to reject the Leaving Without a Deal was 318 to 310, yeah. 18 votes. And Yvette Cooper's bill, which was the m most sort of proclaimed one before the night, was 321 to 398. So there was no more than a 23 or 24 swing. Yeah. Am I right in saying that there was another amendment um, by Greaves? Please tell me if I'm saying yeah. that right. And that was to postpone Brexit if there was no deal made by February 26th. It was. Am I right? It might not have been. It might have been. Uh, oh damn it! I thought I actually knew something for once. Greaves amendment was. Greaves amendment was the one to suspend uh, normal parliamentary procedure and allow people from the back benches to proclaim ideas and proclaim motions and all that. So that was yeah. giving control to Parliament. Yeah. And away from government. Oh, that would have been nice. There was a Reeves bill which was a cross-party effort to ex also extend Article 50 and avoid no-deal Brexit. Was that the one for the deadline, February 26th? I remember yeah. reading one. Let me... Unless BBC messed me up again. Sorry, Yvette Cooper and Nick Bowles planned to give the government until February 26th to come up with a Brexit oh, that was plan. Oh, that was Yvette Cooper? Yeah, All so right. it was sort of... It was a task on that, yeah. There's never more than a 23 or 24 swing. Yeah. Things are getting closer. People are getting... Um, not more opinionated because they should be opinionated as MPs but decisions are getting closer and closer and getting more and more intense yeah. that clearly there is there's strong opinions on either side but it's not a majority yes or a majority no vote which is I suppose is, is the way that everyone else feels is that no one really knows how Brexit's going to turn out yeah. and it's understandable that people are scared and people are, aren't really definitively yeah, this is what's going to happen yeah it just feels like more more now than ever um the consensus around brexit is the most divided it's ever been and it's like you, you, you're talking about what today is 58 days before June 58 day. days yeah um um yeah the the government still can't form a deal they still can't you know persuade the 600 odd mps on a deal that's best for the UK, I guess. Yeah. The, so that's scary. Like the closest that they're coming to a consensus is on a hypothetical <laughs> that as we haven't touched on it yet, but um, Scott, you were saying it was almost six, six minutes after the decision last night that the EU came out and said, yeah, no, we're, we're not going to renegotiate the thing that we negotiated already and said we're not going to renegotiate it. Yeah. And then... Donald Tusk today again has said, "Yeah, no, we're not, we're not, we're not, we're not doing that." So, aren't we just time wasting? Isn't this just a time wasting exercise? Going, the EU won't let us leave without a deal. It'll be catastrophic for them to let's leave it as long as possible, and then they'll jump in. Is that is that what the UK government are thinking? That's um, horrible to think of. That is like it's like how I approach um, my coursework. It's like, let's leave it as long as possible. And you know what? The pressure of doing it the night before oh, yeah. will make it good. Yeah. And it's like, how long can we leave Brexit until it either turns out really good or it's going to be a, a, a burning ball of mess? I mean, but there, there, there's two things with that. Yeah. Firstly, that you can't lock the EU and Theresa May and 600 people into the fourth or the third floor of Maclay with just a load of tens of monsters and Red Bull yeah. and bash it out. Um, secondly, personally, anytime I've left it for the last like night before, it's not going to turn out well. It'll oh, be done. Really? But it, it like you always get to the point where you're like, right, it's just done. Just get it away from me. Yeah. And 
in terms of future life. I don't, I don't, I don't want to live a future life of a deal that's like, nah, we got it done on the 28th of March. Yeah, it kind of just feels like I feel like I'm rehabbing, like I'm having PTSD of my dissertation all over again, <laughs> and it's not nice. But the taken from the idea that Scott was saying, then is it stubbornness that's dictating politics, and that it's uh, the original idea for the backstop came forward in December twenty seventeen. I think the original idea was put forward. Um, it might have been in slightly different words, but the like the conceptual notion of it was around 2017 uh, then Checkers came out in around October uh, and since then the DEP or the Kingmakers have said no we don't want that no we don't want that even though a large proportion of our land have said we quite like this idea yeah especially um, um, the businesses as well yeah who's actively came them. out against DEP yeah. so their stubbornness now has forced Theresa May almost to go back to the EU with a stubborn idea of no this isn't good enough we're going to change it even though the EU have said since December you can't change this deal is it just the worst uh, the worst parts of politics now are just pervasively affecting perversely affecting everything what do you reckon is that too doom and gloom I don't think it's too doom and gloom I think it's just accurate of what's actually happening because I think it's like um, the attitude of a lot of people that I saw um, as a reaction on the news last night was, well, why why would the EU, you know, like, what am I trying to say here? It's like, <laughs> thanks, thank you. I don't know. I don't know. No, they, they're like, well, the EU don't want us to, like, do badly. So why won't they just give us a deal that we want? And it's like, hey, it Brexit doesn't work like that. Like, hey, you voted, you voted to leave, mm-hmm. and now you have to suffer the consequences of leaving the EU. Mm-hmm. So that means paying all the of these divorce bills, settling financial agreements. It also means, hey, you got to give up those rights that were originally in, in the EU. So um, freedom of movement, hey, gone. Um, EU rights, mm, I don't know, maybe they'll still exist. Like these these things. Like, it's almost like am- amateur to it's very Im- I guess it's really immature of people to be like oh well you don't want us to be bad when we leave right it's, it's innocent it's very innocent isn't it and it's like they they don't care the EU don't care it's not their problem and I think the the Prime Minister of Luxembourg said it best when he was like not our problem yeah realistically it's since last night something I have been thinking about about where did Brexit go wrong and it was from the get go in my opinion I think we shouldn't have had I don't (laughs) think we should have had a referendum before knowing what it would have been looking like people voted going yeah I like the sound that Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage and other politicians that were Brexiteers were campaigning for when they didn't know if that was possible and now people are going, yeah, can we have that? And it's just one of those things of that's not possible and that was never going to be feasible. You can't just pick and choose what policies and like laws you want to keep. And I think that's the issue with the backstop, that lots of people are going, yeah, well, it's not really Brexit, but they're not understanding the side and why that is put in place. And it's something that I think even some MPs are going, yeah, what is the backstop? 
and it's still confusing people. It's put in place to reduce the impact of a hard border between Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland, mm -hmm. which I think nobody here wants. I don't think anyone, DUP, Sinn Féin, Alliance, I don't think any parties, yeah, they, the other all, parties are They've here. all actively came around and said, we don't want a hard border. Um, and taken from what you're saying, there is a consensus within Northern Ireland, and I, obviously I can't speak for um, over on the on bigger islands, but a lot of people here feel like Northern Ireland has been forgotten about, and it has been Massive. disrespected and it has been misunderstood. But it must be said that it's not impossible for the EU to open the negotiations again. Like it, there's, there is precedent for this, um, that the EU have <coughs> said one thing, this we're not going to change this, and then change it. It's politics. Like it's it, it's it's possible. Yeah. It's not likely, but it must be said it is possible. Another thing that people are forgetting in this process is these negotiations aren't for what Brexit will look like. This is just for the transition period. Mm -hmm. We are only on the tip of the iceberg of negotiations. We are then going to go into another two, potentially three years, I think, now. Tw 20 months, but Labour wanted to have an amendment for nine months, but maybe three months, because the European Parliament goes on like summer leave at some point in the year. Oh, so they obviously want everything to get sorted before that or oh, that's after nice. that. That's nice. nice I mean, to, it's be, to be fair, they've been doing stuff. Yeah. Like, I'd like a summer holiday. Yeah, right. <laughs> it was hard. It's, it's something that people are going, yeah, this is the deal that we're getting. It's, no, this is the transition deal. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what some people are forgetting, that yes, the backstop does give the EU control of, if we do go into the backstop, that's a big F in, its, in the first place. But if we go into the backstop, the EU can then go, yeah, backstop, we've got rid of, we've got a suitable deal to replace it. So surely it's a motivating factor to work on a deal that's going to suit both sides. Yeah. And I also think that, um, to, just to build on your point, Scott, it's, um, we have to remember that Brexit and like this, uh, this thing of leaving the EU, this is the first of its kind. No country has left the European Union before. So um, I think that the UK is being used as like a deterrent from other countries leaving the EU because it's going to be like, hey, these are the these are the terms and conditions that you are going to face yeah. if you decide to pull out of the EU. So if the EU wilted with the UK, it helps the appeal of yeah. leaving uh, the EU? Massively. And it's like, what stops Germany then leaving the EU yeah. or France leaving the EU? And I know they were building the building blocks of the EU in the first place, but what's to say that, like, you know, two years ago, uh, Marine Le Pen was, like, running against Emmanuel Macron? Mm. Um, for the presidency of France and she had a massive appeal you know what I mean so like it's not that like what's it called like Euro Europhile is that what it's called when you don't like the EU yeah it's not like Europhile isn't no Europhile is when you like the EU right yeah, Euro Euroskeptic Europhobic or Euroskeptic Europhobic Europhobic right so it's like those politics exist within countries that are, that are massive players in the EU. Yeah. So, like, there's nothing stopping other countries then saying, oh, hey, the UK got a good deal when they left Europe. What What's stopping us from getting that good deal as well? So, 
you know, I think the EU have a massive part to play in kind of being the stubborn one here and saying, hey, no, this is the deal that we negotiated and this is the deal you're going to get. And I think if they fall to the pressure um, to the EU or being like, or the UK or being like, hey, we want to change that deal, please, um, they'll just like horribly incompetent if they fall to that pressure. So, like, we, we do these podcasts quite regularly now and hopefully you are a regular listener. You're, you're one. Um, but... That's nice. Like, is there... Every time we do this, it sort of gets sadder and sadder and more kind of... We're closer to the edge and closer to the edge. Yeah, I get angrier. Has anyone noticed that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't speak the first time we done this podcast and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fight everyone in the House of Commons. Come and meet me at half six. I, I, like, have you guys found anything happy in the last <laughs> week or so? Like, uh, in terms of news? Oh, I mean, like, this wasn't this wasn't funny, but also it is. Um, Sammy Wilson said that um, if, oh God, yeah. <laughs> if uh, the shelves are empty after Brexit, why don't they just go to the chippy? Oh, that's that's smart of you, uh, Mr. Wilson. Uh, real real smart there. Yeah, this was, I, this was when your boy, Ian Blackford. I like how you say my boy. You just mean another Scottish person. Well, no, he's also someone that you've like told me that you quite like and quite admire. I think he is a great politician. I would say Ooh. here in the podcast... I don't necessarily agree with the SNP or any of the Scottish parties as a whole. Oh, but that's I think a bold statement to make. I think he's a very good poll. In fact, you know what, Rory? I think we need to edit this full section out because you dropped me in it there. Oh, fair enough. I don't think I've ever said that. I, I, I just remember you talking about him before. So I was like, I th- no, I've talked about him, but I've never admired him. That's why I say your boy, because it's not necessarily that you like him or not. It's just you've talked about him before. Yeah, I've talked about him, but he's, he's not necessarily my boy, no. Okay, I'll, I'll re-edit this bit then. Uh, <laughs> so we'll say, Sammy Wilson Chippy. <laughs> here we go. Rory, start recording from here. <laughs> Yeah, that was after um, Ian Blackford was given a speech on the possible. It was like as a Waitrose X Y Z Robin Marks and Spencer's. Yeah, Robin. Let's not forget the EU, and there's going to be significant amounts of food shortages and all that kind of stuff. And supposedly, Sammy Wilson. Under supposedly, his no, he did say it, Rory. I'm going to come out here and say it. that he did say it. In so fact, yeah, just go to the chipping. I'm going to get this clip up. I've got. I'm plugged in for a reason. Fantastic. We're, See, because all I saw about it was Caroline Rush um, tweeted out being like, whether uh, yeah. this happened, people out here saying scandalous things. Um, things that politicians who supposedly represent the weakest of the, of the society shouldn't say. What happened now, or what's going to happen, is Theresa May goes to Belgium um, she very politely knocks on their front door and in, on, um, in Brussels front door? yeah there's a big front door I've seen it oh really I've never been to Brussels I would like to visit there's a big imaginary front door I'm sure but, um, she knocks on the door and she says can I please have another deal and then EU for all the reported rumours just say no it's so, like a bad it's like a, a bad version of trick or treat isn't it? yeah it's just change our treat, change our agreement, please. And they're like, no, neither. <laughs> so I mean, surely she comes back to the House of Commons, then says, "I can't get this deal." Does she get voted out? Does mm. she? Is there going to be a general election? Is 
Corbin just gonna stand up in the middle of the thing and declare I'm the king now? He's gonna wave that um, malice about. Oh, the one you're not allowed to lift? Yeah, yeah, the one you're not supposed to touch. He's just gonna wonk that about. I mean, all things are possible. I think the most likely outcome is that Parliament will take control mm-hmm. and try and work something out extend Article 50 because that's inevitable they've just voted on we are not going to leave the EU without a deal and they've said yeah that, that's what we're going to do so that means that they're going to have to extend Article 50 and then I think when that fails because the EU will still say yeah we're not going to renegotiate I think it will then go to another referendum and that question will be I think is it possible to have a three option referendum I don't know. I mean, what it what is it? Yes, no, maybe. So it would be no deal. I uh, yeah, no deal exit, um, no Brexit, or Theresa May December twenty eighteen deal. Christ, um, Christ, I think we should do. Like, do you want to lose your your hand, your foot, or your arm? That's grim. I don't know which one's the arm. So it's like the third limb. <laughs> stay I... where we stay where we are, which is no Brexit. No deal, crash out, see what catastrophe that is. Or Theresa, May de- Theresa May's deal where none of the current government back it. But or at, at the majority moment, right, don't back we're, it. We're, we're giving off about Theresa May wilting and uh, being a hypocrite in a two-week time period. If the whole of the UK then votes for, um, votes for no Brexit, it's essentially just all the people who've lost the vote originally being like, oh no, and we, yeah, we fucked up. Like, oh my God, fix it, put it back. But then again, that caused up all the questions of um, was the original vote, uh, or what's the word I'm thinking of? Constitutionally binding? Yeah. Fantastic word. It's, it's interesting because I, I had this discussion with someone the other day and they did raise that Ireland, the Republic of Ireland, is an example of somewhere that has repeated a referendum to try and get a different outcome. <laughs> yeah, but that's just because that's men and no one turns out for those referendums. And also that... Um, what referendum is this just for? This is, I think it was, it's either the Lisbon or the... Two, so, so is this the Lisbon Treaty? Lisbon Treaty 2009, I think, that they didn't get the... the result they wanted the first time so they just held it again that was fun um but like because Ireland is the way that it is and it has a constitution you cannot change the constitution without a referendum just cannot happen whereas we can in the UK political system referendums are not constitutionally binding in the UK so in that so they're basically opinion polls yeah if you want to expensive opinion polls would if we did another expensive opinion poll, would opinion have shifted? I think so. I also think that it would have a greater voter turnout. We were talking about this before we um, put the mics up, that it was, I think, 67% turnout in Scotland, 64% turnout in Northern Ireland. 62% turnout in Northern Ireland, 67 in Scotland. 71 in Wales and 73 But then if you have another vote, do you allow the people who weren't able to vote in the last one to vote in this one? Yeah. The, everyone that is above the age of 18 should have a right to vote. 
So there is like there is X amount of issues with a potential second referendum, um, and it is very hypothetical. It's very difficult for us to um, quantify and qualify. But the the one thing that we know do know for certain is that Theresa May is going to Brussels. She's going to try and get another deal. Uh, I think three of us are pretty unanimous on that. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can I give my predictions of what's going to happen? Thank you. Um, so we recorded a podcast ages ago. Um, feels like ages ago because it is um, January like 80th mm. today. Um, we recorded one at the start of the year about our predictions for 2019. And I did say mine was um, that we extend Article 50. And everyone was quite shocked about that. And I was like, well, I just know politics. Um, I would now like to change that prediction. And I think that we're going to leave the EU without a deal. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm getting more and more worried about. Uh, no, because I, I was reading, I was reading last night. I'm just looking at the things. Uh, the, the amendments that went through last night and the voting of it, a lot of people kept saying it was indicative of the indefi- indecisiveness of, uh, politics at the moment, mm-hmm. and, my fear is that, the indecisiveness and the stubbornness of some, will prevent, clear heads, and. The only thing that's going to happen is stubbornness will win or fear will win. Yeah. Fear is going to get the Article 50. Stubbornness is we're going to crash out. Yeah. What do you think, Scott? I think stubbornness will prevail. I hate to think, but I think stubbornness will prevail mm. and we will crash out, which will be, I think, relatively catastrophic to say the least. Yeah. I quite like the term crash out. I was going to say, on, fun. on the term crash out, should we have, or should politicians have an actual lengthy debate about the implications of a no deal? Like, real, realistically, what's going to happen? Because I just know a no deal, in, a, in point looking at the phrase, no deal is not as good as a deal, because certainties against no certainties. Whereas, you should really have a discussion about this thing, because it's becoming a real possibility. Yeah. I think a no deal for Theresa May, she can still swing as a success purely because she has said in the past, no deal is better than a bad deal. And even though she has held her deal up that she's got and said, this is the only deal we're going to get, this is the best deal we're going to get, because she knows it's the only thing that we're going to get, I think she will use a no deal as a, we can get a better deal. So this is what we have to work so with. So if, if it is one of two options, we should look at it and we should debate it. We should surely have a rounded understanding of this thing. Before Christmas, they did put in an action plan, a very expensive action plan, oh. um, including leaflets that would go around saying how to prepare for a no deal. Uh-huh. Oh, um, that's good. A fantastic use of trees, once um, again. The, the thing that still gets me is the trips into Northern Ireland and it says the No Deal plan, as far as I know or what I've read, has said that um, the British Army will be on standby. I don't see that <laughs> as... I think that's almost worse, worse than a hard border. I think a hard border would be awful. That is a hard border. Would the British, that, the would British that Army... Be, Oh, that would be a hard border? Controlling, oh, okay. controlling the border. That is, that is the definition of that's, hard border. That's, that's the fear, is that um, soft border is you can walk across it easily. Yeah. Hard border is any manifestation of making that difficulty. They are making that difficult, e.g. a big man with a gun. 
you know, my family are from Donegal and it's great. Um, but um, there was a tweet that was put up the other day. I don't know if it's relevant. So, but um, someone had put up a tweet the other day saying that uh, the border crossing, if you're going on like an air coach from Belfast to Dublin, um, you now get Gardaí coming on um, and investigating people's visas. No way. Yeah, I swear to God. And this happened um, in, actually in my first year at uni, so 2016. Um, my friend, uh, we used to live in Elms, and myself and my friend Anna lived in the international quarters. Yeah. This is a fun story, please feel free to include this. And she was going um, to Dublin with um, a boy that lived with us called Tehran, mm. and he was from Hong Kong. But he had been um, in school in England, I think, in Plymouth, uh, for since GCSEs, right? So um, they're going down to Dublin for the weekend and um, they were on the air coach down or the bus air in Waltham. And the Guardi stopped the bus just beyond Drogheda. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure it was beyond Drogheda. And um, they got on the bus and said, hey, everyone get your ID out. And he had his passport with him, but he had left his visa back in Elms. Yeah, for safety. For safety, because he didn't want to lose it. Um, so then, because he couldn't, show his visa pass papers, he was escorted off the bus and brought to a Guardia station in Dundalk. So they drove them all from Drogheda all the way up to Dundalk and he was threatened with um what's it called deportation. When was this? This was in two thousand and sixteen, so this is even before Brexit happened. But um I actually saw a tweet about it the other day saying, Hey, does anyone notice that there is an increased um Guardi presence? at the Irish border, getting on the buses, and it really is like racial profiling. Because the, the two times that I've experienced it, so I experienced it once when I was going to Dublin for a gig, and the second time was actually when I was with Queen's Radio People. And um, old our old webmaster James was with us, and he didn't bring his ID, because why would you? And um, the guard got on the bus, and this is fun, Eilish gave him her student ID, and was like, hey, just use this, it might work. Um, for for our listeners, Elish and James are very different people. Oh, very different people. They're also two different genders. Elish is like, hey, James, use my ID and just like flash it, just like flashes of the guardy. And they looked at our IDs, didn't look closely at James because they would have said Elish, yeah. um, a girl with blonde hair, and him with spiky brown hair. Um, and the guardy didn't even look at his ID, but they brought off um, two other people who um, I assuming were going to the airport. Or going from Northern Ireland to um, Southern Ireland, and they were. They were foreign nationals. They were foreign nationals. So that's fun, and that's there's been an increased um, presence on the border from that. So that is definitely one of the side effects of Brexit that I have seen. Yeah, the, the uh, immigration issues were one of the main planks upon the great ship Brexit being built, mm-hmm. um, and it is. It's a really grim reality of twenty nineteen, uh, and I don't, I don't really know how to spin that. So, we're just going to end on that sort of somber note. Oh, fantastic! I'm glad that my story about Tehran is not making the end of the podcast. I mean, I mean it, it, it's real and it's honest, so it works. Yeah. Thank you very much, Scott, and thank you very much, Jess, for Rory. Uh, talking us through Brexit, and we hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Scoop. To find out more, follow us at QR The Scoop on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.